Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Everybody uh, done well after last night? Yeah. Good. And uh, I'm glad to see that you are here to uh, be a part of this. I apologize to you that I did not get a handout. I hope that you won't be too angry with me, okay? <clears throat> but uh, I'm sorry. Okay. All right. Go ahead. I'll just I'll, I'll just preach to the pews. Right, uh, if you turn to Second Timothy, the the third chapter, <coughs> and I'm really going to try to do as much of these traits as I possibly can tonight. Uh, when we come down to the uh, the verse four and five, I'm going to hold off on those two verses for the next time because I really want to be able to do something special with those uh, in the way of study. Uh, they're really important to to look at in a more conservative way and, and diving into them than to just uh, go through them uh, quickly. And it's not that I'm really trying to go through them quickly. It's just that uh, there's a lot of traits here and uh, it's uh, important that we try to cover as many as we can. Uh, when we talk about this this passage of scripture in the beginning of this, we were talking about the dangers that are within the church. Dangerous times that are within the church. This is not something that we can take lightly. This is something that we really need to be concerned about because not only did we look at the historical factor of his, the, the danger that was in history in the church age, but Paul says that the greatest danger in the church right now is those that are self-centered or those that love love self. And uh, so let me read uh, with you, uh, and if you wouldn't mind, stand in the reading of the Word of God here in Second Timothy, the third chapter, and we'll read the first uh, five verses. But realize this, that in the last days, dangerous times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boast, boastful, arrogant, revelers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of, preather, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power and avoid such men as these. You may be seated. Father, as we look at this passage of Scripture, we see things here that Paul is instructing Timothy in regards to the danger that is within the church. He does not want Timothy to be uh, nonchalant about this, the situation of danger. And he's, uh, he's gone to this great extent of giving him several uh, points uh, that come out of a self, self-made love, a lover of self and, and, and Lord, I pray that as we look at this passage of Scripture, would you open it up for us to be able to see it? Would you speak through me to the glory of your name? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I was hearing something to the side of me, the right side of me, and I was just wondering, now am I pushing up against something? Or is it man? 
and here we are. We we got this this guy here well, fixing my we're mic. Still low tech, but we're low some, tech. Some kind of tech. So okay. Maybe that'll help. Well, I'm no tech at all, so that probably help helps us out a little bit. You know. <clears throat> well, the last the last uh, trait that we looked at last time was disobedience to parents, and this time uh, we want to be able to look at the sixth. A uh, cesspool of self-centeredness or a cesspool of church people. Now, I, I, in my estimation, and this is really my estimation, when you go through these traits, you begin to start looking at them and you start seeing some dividing points. You, say, you see a dividing line there. And we noticed that there was a dividing line after uh, self-love. And we realized that out of this uh, slew of the despond, this, this cesspool, there comes, this comes out all of this crud that comes out of a person who is a lover of self. And now we, uh, I think another dividing place would be at the sixth cesspool of self-centeredness, and that's the cesspool of ungratefulness. I think that what Paul is saying is that he's not up to this point, in the fifth traits, up to this point, he was, he was dealing with the individual himself. He was speaking of the individual who has a lover of self, lover of money, uh, boastful, arrogant, uh, a, a person who is a, uh, disobedient to parents, and a person who is, uh, is uh, um, what's the word, uh, a blasphemer. Those are the traits that he, he, he brings out as an individual. But now when you start looking at ungratefulness and, on, and going on through, you begin to start seeing and sensing that he's not just talking about an individual. He's talking about church people. He's talking about a church itself. He's talking about a church that can become unloving. And I suppose that maybe you and your experience of churches that you've been involved in, you've been in churches that are unloving. So this is a this is a church here is ungrateful. Uh, the word is is arkar istos arkar istos, and and it means it's it's in fact it's only used twice in the New Testament. It's used here, and Jesus uses it one time, and we'll look at that in a second. But these are these are people without grace. Now, when we say a people who are without grace, who are we talking about? We're talking about unbelievers, aren't we? We're talking about people who have become churched, or not church, but members of a church, who are part of that church, but will never see heaven. Well, that's a terrible thing to even think of, isn't it? To sit under the gospel message of Jesus Christ for years and years and years and years, and then not to know the grace of God. And at their dying day, think they're going to heaven and they're not. Incredible. These are people who are without grace. And who have and, and the people who are without grace, they're people who are ungrateful. They they expect God to do things for them. That is their expectation. You know people who are under grace, they don't really expect God to do anything for us. And when God blesses us, we're just, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you. We're so grateful because God has done something so wonderful for us. But here are some people who are ungrateful because they don't have the grace. They don't know the grace. And uh, 
And so they said they're, they're, they're because they're ungrateful. But notice, if you look, if you look at Luke 6.35, Luke 6.35, and Jesus turns the tables on this and says just the opposite. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for He Himself is kind to the ungrateful and the evil man. Boy, look at this the statement that He makes here. He says that to lend expecting nothing and to return and here these people are expecting a gift and they're not grateful for it. So he's saying give and don't expect anything instead of I want to receive but don't be grateful about it. So gratefulness is a, is a mark of a born again believer in Jesus Christ. Just like a person who confesses their sins is another mark of a Christian. Do you know, and as you know, as you know, that unbelievers don't confess their sins. They don't admit that they've done wrong. That they won't they won't admit to it. You're after dragging through mud and stones and everything else just to get them to to admit that they're wrong. They don't, I don't want I don't want to admit that. Ungratefulness now listen. Ungratefulness always breathes grumbling. Always breathes a grumbling spirit. You would think that it would be just the opposite, would you not? But if you if you uh, if you're not ungrateful, you, you're grateful, then that means you're thankful, and you're not you're not you're not upset about not receiving some things. But a person who's ungrateful. He complains. Wait a minute. Wait, what are you complaining for? <laughs> In First Corinthians 10.10 10, it says, Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, Paul gives this as a danger to the church and that it breeds disdain. It breeds bitterness. It breeds people who are just unthankful and they don't, they don't, you know, God, God just hates that. He just can't. He just hates that. We are to be promoters of love and good works. We are to be grateful for what God has done for us. The seventh cesspool of self-centered church people, if you allow me to use that expression, self-centered church people. Well, I'll tell you what. There was a church that God called me to I won't mention his name, just in case some of you might know what it is. Before I got there, they had a business meeting and they were so mad at each other, they were throwing songbooks at each other. And I said, God, what in the world have you got me into? Ungratefulness. I'm thankful. Well, unholy. And I'll see us. There's another word for unholiness. It's kenos. Another word for kenos. And kenos is the word that says that there, there, is, there is the 
worship, the rituals, the things that goes along with worship, that, that the items of worship that, that they detest. I'm talking about things that are godly. I'm, talking, I'm not talking about these other uh, religions that have all kinds of hype. I'm talking about things that they just have a disdain for, a disdain for the things of God. But this word here is a different word. It is an anisios. And what it is talking about is concerned about a holy lifestyle. Living a holy lifestyle. And, and this is a, they, they, these people, and anisios, these people, look at the word of God as worthless. It's not important to them. Now, you know, if you walked up to the church member today in any of the churches today and you said, do you consider the Word of God worthless? And they'll say, well, of course not. I might even want to fight you. But when it comes down to lifestyle, then you have to be able to say, well, they must consider it worthless because they don't consider it valuable to put it into their life. So, what is the bottom line? Bottom line is, I consider it worthless. So therefore, those that, that look at the Word of God, and, and this is a coin phrase I hear all the time, well, that is true back then. I mean, that was the custom back then. And I, you know, I asked them the question, do you believe the Word of God is inspired? Well, yeah, I do believe the Word of God is inspired. Then why is it that you take your penknife and you cut out different passages of Scripture that you don't like? So, what does give you the right to determine what is inspired and what is not? You have to take the whole thing as to what it is. Unholy. And Jude, Jude 1.5, he says, Now, I've got these verses written down here. So save time. And I'm not trying to rush you. But I am trying to rush you. <laughs> but in Jude 1.5, it says, Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving the people of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed them, those who did not believe. Ah, man. That's an incredible statement. Incredible statement. And now, there is when, when you do not see the Word of God as worthy and as a valuable, then you do not see the Word of God that tells you that there's consequences to your wrongdoing. So when a people do not believe the Word of God and the worth of the Word of God, they do not, do not believe the consequences that come from disobedience to the Word of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 5-10. I will wait for you to turn to that passage because this is an important passage of Scripture because Paul is telling us that it's for our example. This is for our example. Our example. <clears throat> Whose example? Yours and mine. Nevertheless, the most, with most of them, God was not well pleased. You know, I, I, I just hope that that statement is never used with my name in regards to God. I hope God never says, I'm not pleased with you. I hope that never happens. It was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now, these things happened as examples for us. Notice that. You mark your Bible, mark that. As examples for us. So that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. 
Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to pray. Uh, Play, pray. Nor let us act immorally, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Can you imagine having a church that has 23,000 folks and all of them are laid low, all of them dead? Oh, my. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example. Counted the the blood of the covenant with which he was sanctified as an unholy thing and has insulted the Spirit of grace. That is an example for us to follow. That is an example for us to think about. When we start grumbling, when we start getting into other things that we ought not to be into, we need to we need to understand what Paul is saying. And Paul is giving Timothy advice. Paul is showing Timothy the importance of the grave danger of self-love of a church that is self-love, of an individual that is filled with self-love, is that they trample underfoot the covenant of grace. You know, when I say trample underfoot the, the covenant of grace, is that there is irreconcilable to the doctrine of God's Word. I can't tell you the number of times I've sat down and I've gone through the Word of God and I showed them the truth, precept upon precept, and they were irreconcilable. They would not listen. They were so, so starched into their, their belief system that they could not believe the truth even though it was shown them passage after passage. That tells you that the Spirit of God is the one who has enlightened the eyes and the hearts of the people. It's not me. It's not the preachers. Tenth, a cesspool of self-centered people, a malicious gossip, slanderous, diabolish is the word for slander. And that's the same word for devil. Did you know that in the Greek? Diabolus. This tells us malicious gossips stand side by side with Satan as liars. They're liars. Malicious gossips are people who tell you something that's not true about somebody else. And the purpose of them telling you that is because they don't like them. They hate them. So they're going to say something that's bad about them. And it's just as bad for someone to hear that information and to pass on that information. It's just as bad. Malicious gossip. Diabolus. Jesus said to the leaders, religious leaders now, that were called the Pharisees. They were, they were not just church members. They were pastors. <laughs> but this is what he says to them. He said, you are of your father the devil. Talk about boldness. I wonder if I get get away with that. Do you think this? You are of your father the devil and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. 
He is a liar and the father of lies. Paul cautions Timothy concerning the dangers of malicious gossipers. You know, folks, we've got a lot of those folks in churches today. Malicious gossips. People sit around and listen for gossip. Everybody remember Snuffy Smith? Maybe I'm telling my history here. Snuffy Smith and his wife. And any time was told him that, uh, what was her name? That was at the gossip fence. Uh, I don't remember. But she would travel through the house. She would knock him over. Anything that was in her way, she would just throw it out of her way to get to the gossip fence. That's the way some people are today. The eighth cesspool of self-centered church people is those that are unloving. I think one of the hardest and most difficult things for me to, to even fathom is a church that is unloving. Now this word unloving is astrogos and, and the word alpha in front of it means that it's a negative. So so sotrogos means natural affection ah sotros means that it's unnatural and when you talk about natural what you're talking about is something that is just natural like for instance you can have two brothers that are fighting with each other but if you pick a fight with one of the brothers the other brother is going to come with them and they're going to fight against you why? because it's a natural thing for them to do that but see what he's talking about here that, that they, they don't even do that there is not that natural affection. And we're not talking about agape. We're not talking about uh, some people who come and, and, and they have a philos. I mean, they, 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 you're, you're a friend, I'm a friend. I mean, then we have a natural affection for each other. Lord, have mercy. If you only have that, that's, that's, the, that's the bottom line. That, I mean, you can't get any lower than that. I mean, the wolf pack has uh, at least natural affection for one another. And so you, you've got this. But, but boy, I tell you, John has some incredible statements to make of people that will love one another. Like like First John 3.14. Let's turn to that. First John 3.14. What does John say when you don't have love for one another? What, what does that say? Boy, he is just... He's hard. John is the kind of person he doesn't he does not have no gray areas in his teaching. It's black and white. Okay? But here's what John says, first John three fourteen. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. I mean, that's an incredible statement. When he says abides in death, what does he mean? He's talking about a person who's never been born again. He's talking about a, a graveyard dead. Somebody who who's, who's, uh, could be a part of the church and yet is unloving. And you can have a bunch of church folks that are cliquish and they're unloving. I've talked to some people who have left churches now. Why did you leave? They said, oh, there's a bunch of cliques. If you don't fit into the clique, you don't belong. 
So, unloving is an incredible point. <clears throat> Ninth cesspool of self-centered church people is irreconcilable. Us pond us. Incompatible, unresolvable, implacable. They don't they won't agree with you. They won't resolve the conflicts with you. And they'll continue to be hostile with you. <laughs> so where do you go? How do you get through with them? Hebrews ten twenty nine. Turn with me there. Hebrews ten twenty nine. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he through the excuse me will he through the worthy of punishment the one who has trampled the Son of God and who has for pleasure that war in your members you lust and do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain, you fight in wars, yet you do not have because you do not ask, you ask and do not receive because you ask and amiss that you may spend it on your pleasure. Did I say James or did I say John? Hebrews. Did I say Hebrews? Yeah. Okay, all right, all right. I was thinking that sounded a lot like James, that passage in Second. I just read James. Oh, okay. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. Okay. So here, here you have you you have these people that that have trampled underfoot the grace of God. What what is he talking about when he says that? He's talking about the truths of God's word and says that it it just matters not to me. I have the doctrines that have been passed on down to me from. From my parents to my from my parents to parents and, and, and it doesn't matter, don't come with me, don't come here telling me anything different than that. I'm not interested. I'm afraid that I'm going to be up against that when I go to Clarksburg. Thirteenth. <clears throat> no, excuse me, twelfth. Cesspool of self-centered church people are brutal. Anamiros. There was a Greek Stoic philosopher. His name is Epictus. And he describes those who forgot God as the creator as resembling lions, wild, savage, and fierce. <coughs> It's like a shark fancy. You are you are the prey and they are the sharks. And a person's reputation can be tremendously destroyed by these frenzies. Well, James deals with this type of behavior, and this is probably what I was thinking about, Dennis, when I was coming to that, was the passage in James. And James says this in relationship to those that uh, are brutal concerning the poor who come into their assembly. 
and they're brutal toward their feelings. Brutal toward the feelings of the poor people. And so James says in 2.1, My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a, man, a poor man in dirty clothes, and you, you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and says, you sit here in a good place and you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my footstool. That is just no regards to the person's feelings. To me, that's brutal. That's brutal. To tell a person that he is either going to stand over there uh, against the wall or sit at a footstool. Now, when he says sit at a footstool, he's talking about a slave. He's talking about a position that a slave were to be sitting at was that he sat on the footstool. He didn't sit in a chair. He didn't sit where the other people sat who were free. But even a poor person, he's free, but has such disregard and disdain for him, I told him to sit at the footstool like if you were a slave. <clears throat> that is another area that is, is what we refer to as prejudice. Prejudice that the churches have toward those that are poor is, uh, is astounding because uh, the church is not reaching out to the community of the poor that are around them. Not reaching out to them. Well, the 13th cesspool of self-centered church people are the haters of good. Haters of good. Well, the word aphilagos is uh, the negative form of philagos, meaning a lover of good. It means a hater of good. Now, you know, it's hard for me to conceive of a person that hates good. Hates good being done. It hates good being done to others. And one of the reasons why they hate the good is because it's not done to them. They're not receiving the good. That's what they want. They want to say, why do you, why do you give the good over to them? Why don't you give the good to me? You know, I'm, I'm far more important than those people over there. That's prejudice. Prejudice. God tells the Jewish judges not to be partial. Not to deal with people simply because of their income. Not to deal with people who they, they were of a different color, of a different nationality. No, you deal with them fairly. You deal with them fairly all the way through. And found in Deuteronomy 1.15, if you would, turn to that. Deuteronomy 1.15. So I took the heads of our tribes, wise and knowledgeable men, and made them heads over you, leaders of thousands, leaders of hundreds, leaders of fifties, leaders of tens, officers of the tribes. And then I commanded you judges at that time, saying, Hear the cases between your brethren, and judge righteously between a man and his brother and the stranger who is with him. Now, <clears throat> that is a mark of a Christian. That is a mark of a person who upholds the standard of fairness. 
upholds the standard of righteousness. Uh, uh, I would much rather stand before my Lord who's going to judge me very fairly and yet he's not going to be impartial in any way. He's going to be able to say, that's sin, and I'm going to have to say, yes, Lord, you're right, that's sin. But I know that he's not going to be impartial with me and he's not going to look at someone else and he's not going to bypass that person's sin and then look at the very same sin that's in my life. He's not, he's not partial. And, and I thank God that he's not partial. Now, Paul warns the church of the danger of refusing to do good, of refusing to not be prejudiced, of refusing not to be partial. So he says, well, I say Paul warns, but I'm going to read you two different passages of Scripture that Paul didn't speak in. But in Deuteronomy 15.7, notice what God tells, again, these people who are judges. He says in Deuteronomy 15.17, Deuteronomy 15.7, excuse me, if there's any among you a poor man of your brethren, with any of within any of the gates in your land, which the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand from your poor brother, but you shall open your hand wide to him and willing to lend him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. The church needs to be able to do that which is good. This is the danger that Paul is seeing within the church. Why would it be a danger for the church not to do good? If a church was not willing to do good, then they would be unloving. They would not realize the goodness in putting into practical application of the goodness that God has given them. They would be a church that was shut up to themselves and, and nothing outside the borders of the church would matter to them. They would become enclosed within their own church building. Nothing outside would matter. And go to church, bypass the poor people, go to church, bypass those that should be given the gospel message of Jesus Christ, go to church, bypass all those that are needy and go to church and become just hibernating within the four walls of your own building and then leave and do the same and bypass them. To do good means that you are willing you are willing to allow the Spirit of God to move through you to meeting that need, reaching those people that you need a need. 1 John 3.17 Here John says something else very strong. He says, Whoever has the means of life of the world and sees his brother having need and shuts up his heart of compassion from him, how does the love of God abide in him? A calloused heart. A hardened heart desensitized to the needs of others. Not being able to see them because you just will not see them. You become desensitized. The 14th cesspool that is being spoken of here, 
Boy, am I the only one that's hot? Okay. Fourteen cesspool of self-centered people is treacherous. The word is prodates. It's um, who for gain will betray the confidence of another person. Can you think of a person that I might want to refer to? Example is Judas. A betrayer. <clears throat> Let me ask you something. You share something that is of confidence within your own life. and You share it with somebody and you really trust that person that he will not blab it. You trust that person he will not say that that confidence that you put in him. What does that make you feel? How does that make you feel? Does it make you feel that you've been betrayed? It makes you feel hurt? It makes you feel like, man... I, I shared my heart with that person and they just trampled underfoot my heart. They didn't care. Makes you feel like I don't want to trust anybody anymore. <clears throat> well, you had a man that walked with you for three years and he was in the ministry with you for three years. He was the treasurer. You kept the treasurer. And he and 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 it's so incredible is this to me is that at the Lord's Supper, at that table, when Jesus said that one of you are going to betray me, they didn't all look at Judas. Did you notice that? They didn't all look at Judas. Judas, what are you going to do that? How could you do that, Judas? They didn't know it was Judas. And, and so, uh, Judas was the betrayer. Jesus said, I've chosen 12 of you, one of you the devil, but he didn't say which one was the devil. In Luke 6, 16, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Well, Judas was selfish. He was self-centered. He was a lover of self. He was a lover of money for the gain and betrayal. Betrayed Jesus for money, 30 pieces of silver. Churches are filled with Judases, <clears throat> people who betray. Paul teaches Timothy to look out for those who are traitors because to betray the church could be the death of the church. Hmm. Let me think about that for a second, okay? To betray the church could be the death of the church. Betray the confidence of the church. Betray what the church is, what, what their bylaws are. Betray some of the confidence that the people have within the church. For someone to go outside the church and portray the confidence of some of the people that are within the church. Boy, like that would just tear a church up. That would tear a church up. So, 15. I am going to finish these cesspools. I've got two more to do. I'll be through. <clears throat> and then I really, I'm really looking forward to fifth and sixth area. The fifth cesspool of self-centered church people. And just think, Dennis is going to have to go through this whole same list again next when he gets to the third chapter. I just run it off the tape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know that's not true. The cesspool of self-centered church people is reckless. Pro, no, prop, it takes. 
to fall headlong. It's kind of like a person who's walking and loses his balance and he falls headlong. And that's what that word is talking about. It's a, a person who falls headlong. In other words, he has no caution. He throws his caution to the wind. He, he, he walks close to the cliff and he really doesn't throw caution. I mean, just, uh, if I step off, I step off. If I don't, then that's okay. It's just throwing caution to the wind. It's living on the edge of life. And it's throwing caution. It's handling anything that comes along. I can handle it. I can take care of it. Don't worry. I've got it. I've got it. Don't worry. I've got it. That's the same situation that had taken place in Acts and what Dennis was talking about in 1936, talking about the town's clerks who uh, had a problem on his hand that the people were rash. And the word rash is the same word as proetes. And it says, so since these are un- undeniable facts, you ought to keep calm and do not and do and to do nothing rash. Don't don't throw caution to the wind. Don't do something that you will regret later. Uh, and uh, again, Paul uses this word. You know, he, he boy, he does something that Paul takes so much time to to mention different traits that come from self love. Something. I mean, he goes goes in and just point up the point of the point of the point of the point of the point and just keeps on coming. You know, 18 different traits he goes through. And you're saying, well, why does he go through so much? Because it's very important to Paul that Timothy understand that there's danger within the church. And now maybe not all of them will be in a person's life, but some of them can be very diabolical. So the, what did I say, 16th? Yeah. No, 15th. I'm a 15th. Says Paul, of uh, people who are reckless, through caution, and Paul uses this word to warn Timothy and the church of listening to a person who has no restraint, who shows no caution in their walk. And Paul is warning Timothy to say, hey, listen, because it's just because somebody seems like he knows what he's talking about. You need to be careful about what he's talking about. I mean, what is his lifestyle like? Does he show restraint? Is it one of these guys or that, uh, I don't know, fly, fly off a cliff with one of these airplane deals, you know? Uh, what do they call them? Gliders, Gliders yeah. Well, you won't catch me on one of those things. I, I mean, I'm just, I'm not going to throw that my life away. What if something happened there? I mean, why, you know, it says, well, you know, God's going to call you. Yeah, but he didn't he's going to call me in the next moment or two. I mean, why? Yeah, let's not throw it all away. To say that God protects me, I'm not going to step in front of a freight train and say, well, God's going to protect me. You know? That's just to deal with the consequences of that one. So don't throw caution to the wind. And don't deal with people who throw caution to the wind. Sixteenth, cesspool of self-centered church people are those that are conceited, too full, too full, too full, puffed up with pride, thinking they are the one who is the most important. 
They're the ones who like the rooster strutting around thinking that they're the one who caused the sun to rise. <clears throat> and Paul uses this word to identify the proud in heart, which will destroy the church and leaving God out of their plans. The proud in heart are people who say, you know, I've got a plan, I'm going to go forward with this plan, and uh, I'm going to do that, da, 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 and then, oh, by the way, God, would you bless it? Instead of at the beginning saying, God, would you do me the direction and guide me as to what I need to do? Well, James has something to say about that as well. In James four thirteen to 15, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet, you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, I will live and also do this or that. So, here are 16 different traits that Paul gives us. But, When you look at verse 4, he concludes these traits by saying the lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. In verse 5, holding to a form of godliness, although they deny its power and avoid such men as these. Now, these two verses I want to be able to hold, if you allow me to, till next Tuesday night. And I want to be able to share with you the importance of what Paul's saying is that those that love pleasure matter than lovers of God is a very, very serious thing. And who hold to a form of godliness. You know, when you hold to a form of godliness, it's kind of like a light bulb that's been burned out. And it has a form of godliness, but it's got no power thereof. And those are what Christians are. Is that they, not Christians, but those who claim to, to know Christ. They look like Christians, they act like Christians, they talk like Christians, but they have no power. No power in their lives. Hold to a form. So I'm looking forward to sharing that with you next, next week, if Dennis allows that. He winked at me, which means that... Um, it means one of two things. I think that... <laughs> Now, I won't go into that. <laughs> but anyway, that's, uh, we, uh, we're looking forward to uh, the next Wednesday, the next Tuesday. Well, let's close in a word of prayer. <clears throat> Father, I want to thank you for Paul's great concern for not only Timothy, and as young as he was, and that he's being a pastor of the Ephesus Church, and all the things that were taking place in that church. And I imagine there could be so many different things that Paul could have just instructed Timothy on. But Paul was so concerned that the danger that was in the church is people who are lovers of self. That's so incredible. In a world that we live in, they promote being lovers of self. And the, and, the, and the scriptures promote 
Don't be a lover of self. Be a lover of God. And I ask you, Father, that uh, as we have gone through some of these traits and we look at them, any one of those traits can be a destroyer of a church. Any one of those traits can cause people to go south in their walk with you. And I pray, Father, as we look at these things, that Paul just uh, gives us some real uh, information, some clarification of the importance of taking the Word of God and believing what the Word of God has to say and saying, this is true. This is true. And not to look at this thing as not important. We've got these people all around us, so why why spend any particular time with them? No, we have to be on our guard, watching that these people do not come in as crept in unawares and destroy the church. Father, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.